0: The uh, preaching text for today's sermon comes out of the Gospel of St. Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate rather lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger, with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. And the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip his tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony with these flames but Abraham said child remember that during your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in his uh, like manner received evil things but now he's comforted here and you're in agony besides all of this between you and us is a great chasm that's been fixed So that those who cannot, uh, excuse me, so that those who want might not pass from here to you. They cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my Father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, so that they will also not come here to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they should listen to Moses and the prophets. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to someone coming from the dead. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, a tough one, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You know, one of the scandals of the Christian faith is that we uh, follow a savior, a Lord, who has a habit of hanging out with the wrong people. Hanging out with people that respectable folks wouldn't have anything to do with. And Luke reports that the Pharisees and the scribes were the most respectable people there were. I can hear or see rather in my imagination them standing off to the side as, as Jesus is trying to teach the people and, and they're, they're murmuring according to the, the uh, scripture. They are murmuring. And they're saying, who, who is this guy? Who does he say to? And then maybe one of them at some point gets bold enough to shout it out and confront Jesus saying, who do you think you are coming here and talking to us that way? You come from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Why don't you go on back where you came from? We don't need you here. Well, Jesus obviously heard that. And so he told them a series of parables. We read one of them today. He, read the, he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and that had to sting because as Luke records it, the Pharisees and the scribes themselves were very rich. Now, presumably Jesus didn't call them out by name, but they heard all of this that he was saying. And he, they knew that he was speaking directly to them because he could read them like a book and they knew it. And so when he said, you justify yourselves in other people's names, but we know, I know what's in your heart. Wow. That's quite a charge, isn't it, or or a revelation. And they heard it as judgment, which I'm sure he intended it that way. God knows what's in your heart. Now, that can be a wonderful thing. One of the most wonderful affirmations you can imagine that God knows what's in your heart but it can also be a frightening condemnation if your heart isn't right. It really depends, doesn't it? Depends on where your heart is. And as these scribes and Pharisees, those who knew the law inside out and had convinced themselves that they alone were true followers of God As they were letting all of that sink in, Jesus hit them with that parable. Simple story, really. Lazarus had nothing. The rich man had everything. The rich man paid no attention to Lazarus, even though he was right outside his door. To him, this poor beggar, had become invisible. He didn't matter. Well, the parable goes on. They both died. Lazarus ends up at the, uh, beside Abraham, that's a common image in in scripture. Uh, You learned it in Sunday school probably, rocking my soul in the bosom of Abraham and all of that. It's a good place. The rich man ended up in Hades. Now, they could see each other apparently in the parable and and they could talk to each other, but there was a chasm. They couldn't cross over from one to the other. But the rich man tried. He said, send Lazarus to me. Let him dip his finger into the water and and touch it to my tongue because uh, I'm in pain. And Abraham said, I can't do that. I can't do that. There's a chasm. I, nobody can come from here to where you are, or, or you can't come where we are. Lazarus was in a good place. The rich man said, well, at least can you send Lazarus back to earth? Can you send him back so that he can warn my brothers so they won't end up where I am. And Abraham said, I can't do that either. I can't send someone from here back to earth. I can't send the dead back to the living. Now we know Jesus was the one that was telling the story. So I'm sure he had in his mind, yeah, but that's what I'm gonna do later. Uh, but, But as far as this story is concerned, no, I can't do that. I can't send them back. That pretty much is the definition, I would think, of hell being in a place where you can't get to God. Well, This story has been interpreted many different ways. I don't think it's so much a story about what heaven and hell looks like. I don't believe that was what Jesus was trying to say. I think what he was really trying to say is, there's this chasm, there's this chasm. And the extent to which the chasm is keeping you from where you want to be depends on what's in your heart. Remember, the rich man didn't do anything overtly to cause this poor man suffering. At least there's nothing reported by Luke. He didn't beat him, he didn't chase him off. He didn't have him arrested, he did none of that. So what was the problem? Well, I think the problem was that he was totally indifferent that he did nothing, that he didn't even see the man after a while. We have people on the mall, people in the median strips of our our streets that uh, I must confess that I don't see sometimes. I become numb to that because they're there. When Gary asked me to do the service today, he said the theme was outreach, and my initial thought was I'm going to lift up all these things that our church does, and Cindy already did that. And so I was thinking, okay, I know Cindy's going to do that. What, what, what can I do with this? And then last Saturday, I went to a lecture over at the uh, University of Virginia. And the speaker was... Uh, a Dr. Christine Mahoney, who is a noted authority on the problems of displaced persons worldwide. That was her topic that she was covering. And I had my eyes opened a bit. Did you know, as she reported, that right now there are 71 men of the displaced persons in our world, 71 million people who cannot go home for various reasons, things like war, disease, famine, mostly brought on by lack of water. We, we know climate change and all of that. They can't go home. In some cases, home doesn't exist anymore because of hurricanes and floods, fires, and the like. Of these 71 million people, 41 million are internally displaced, meaning they still live in their country, but they can't go home for various reasons. 26 millions are refugees living in refugee camps around the world. Mostly, most of those camps are in uh, Africa or, or, excuse me, in Europe. Four million are asylum seekers. Most of these are not on our southern border, but rather in the Middle East and in Africa. Professor Mahoney didn't mention words when she was talking about them. She referred to them as uh, not refugees or asylum seekers or any of that. Uh, She said they were people literally running for their lives. It's easy for us to forget that, that there are seven said that the average length of time they stay in that situation is 17 years. They can't go home. And for many of them, they can never go home again. Now, personalize that. Something happens that you have to run for your life and you can't go home. That's the situation. My eyes were opened. I'll personalize it even more. Michelle and Brian are here this morning. Michelle's my daughter-in-law, Brian's my son. He grew up in this church. That's where she is. Now, Abaco, I might not be saying that right. Does that name ring a bell? Abaco? <laughs> Abaco. Okay, close enough. Does that ring a bell? 71 million of them, and you might look at that and say, well, that's not much, you know, but it's one. It's one that wouldn't have gotten helped otherwise. I'm under no illusion that we can fix everything. Gail and I had an opportunity, though, to see one solution a few years ago when we went to Tanzania and uh, Anna. because uh, uh, something very simple that uh, somebody recognized that these people want to work they want to earn a living they want to be uh, useful and uh, and and in this case they are now what does all this have to do with that parable well I think what it has to do with that parable is that most times uh, when things are happening like right outside our door most times we don't see it. And one of, the, one of the things that would help most with the brokenness is in our world is simply to open our eyes and to say to ourselves, yes, I see that. We can't fix it all. But I believe that Jesus would have us to see it. One last thing. The last thing I did before I left home is I went upstairs and got my stuff off the printer, um, and and I saw a quote on the internet. Everything on the internet's true, you know, but uh, but I saw a quote, and and I'm not going to attribute it because half of you wouldn't listen if I if I told you who said it, but. Uh, and I changed some of the words to make it fit. But here's, here's what it said. Every time we turn our heads the other way, when we tolerate what we know to be wrong, when we close our eyes and ears because we're too busy or too frightened, when we fail to speak out or act on behalf of mar- the marginalized, every time we strike a blow against the very principles that Jesus stood for. That's something to think about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.